We're studying 3 John this morning. Okay, let's go through the verses and, and see what it is. Lord, open our hearts. Thank you that we get to have your word here to wash us every single day, Lord, to open it up and to see the truth that you've given to us. You, you show us your love. You shine it to us through your word. And, and I pray that today as we endeavor to learn of it together, that we would come away knowing you more and being different people for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And to the elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Again, you'll see this theme of loving one another in the book of 3 John. It's one of the themes, and it's this love between two brothers, between the writer and the receiver, between the elder John and between Gaius, this man that he calls his son in the faith. And beloved is there over and over again, those four times that we saw in the quiz. And he says that he loves Gaius in truth. So he doesn't just say, I love you, man. You hear that sometimes. It's actually not just in word, it's in deed and in truth, as the word says to us. So this book, it enumerates some of the actions and the attitudes that we're to have for one another in love. It's a good example of how we should be treating each other. The book of 1 John told us that if we don't love one another, then we don't know God. And so we must love one another. And these are some truths, these are some actions, these are some attitudes that we can have if we are to love one another. So this is what love looks like. Jesus loved you with the perfect love, and he continues to love you with that perfect love. God demonstrates his own love toward you, and that while you were still a sinner, he died for you. He died for me when I was still lost and in my sin. That huge love, that sacrificial love, all the way to the cross, taking my sin so that I could have forgiveness, so that I could have heaven, that's the biggest love we've ever known. And today, that love is for you to receive. When we speak of love, we're not saying that we're right with God because we love people or we're right with God because we love him back. We're right with God because he loved us first. And if today you need to make that love your love, you need to call him Lord, don't postpone it. It's, it's the surrendering of your life. It's saying, I am not mine, I'm yours. I've lived for myself for a long time. I don't want any of that. But I don't want to walk in your ways. So please don't misunderstand me as we learn about love it's, it's not a matter of earning our salvation, but because he has loved us, we ought to love one another. And many times I've said, well, we would like it better sometimes, or we think we would like it better if there was just one massive act of love that we could, could follow through with. Like, look, I'm doing something really big and awesome to prove to you that I love you. But this is the truth. God calls us to just lay down our lives in little bits and pieces, the debt is kind of, if you picture it as a debt, it's just in quarters. With each bit of energy, with each bit of your time, with each bit of your sacrifice. So 3 John teaches us a bit about what that means. What does it look like when you love somebody, brother to brother, brother to sister in the Lord? What does it mean? What are the kind of actions that we take? Most of us, we're not going to die for each other the way Jesus died for us. So what are the seemingly small actions that actually are love? They're not as big as the cross. They're not as grand as the love that God has shown towards us. But it's, we struggle sometimes with those 
small pieces of love that add up to something great. So first I point out to you, number one, love in truth. This is a love that's according to God's word. It's according to commandment keeping. It's according to commitment and sacrifice. It's it's not just a lip service love, but it's really loving someone. So this is what John writes to the elder, to Gaius. He says, whom I love. And then he says, I I really do love you. I love you in truth. 1 John 4.10 says, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be, to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. So this is the laying down of your life in, in minutes, in weeks, in effort, in energy. John was willing to love Gaius this way. Are we willing to do the same for each other? God will give you opportunities to love others. And it will just seem like it's small sometimes, but it will be sacrificial. It'll be something that is difficult to do. It'll be something that's hard. He'll give you, and he gives me those opportunities. What will you do when he gives you that chance and says, this is what it means to love? Will you do it? Will you follow through and love in truth? Also, I see love in tenderness, number two. Yes, it's genuine love, but it's also expressed, and this is a struggle for some, in very tender terms. Beloved, that's a term of endearment. It's not just a filler word. There's a lot of meaning there. The one that I love, there's a a warmth to Christian love. It's not weird. It's genuine, and it is to be expressed with tenderness. There's a lot of tenderness in this book. Can you identify with this? It says, if you look in verse 4, that it's like a parent for their child. And sometimes, especially for men, they think like, well, I can't have that kind of tenderness. I can't have that kind of endearment towards my brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, if you liken it to what it's like for you and if you're a parent, believe me, I've been privileged to be at the hospital a few times when, when this big macho man, his wife gives birth to that baby and he's just treasuring that baby tender right that's the tender expressed love that we're to have for each other we're not supposed to be stoic about our love for one another it's not necessarily a personality trait it's something we're supposed to be tight we're supposed to be tender we're supposed to be close it's supposed to be personal look in the last couple of verses of this book in 13 and 14 there's a lot of tenderness there also i'll skip to those i had many things to write but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. Look at, look at the attitude. Look at the love and tenderness. I want to see you, not just write to you. I, I want to see your face and greet each person by name. These are the little pieces of love, but they're important pieces. Greeting people by name makes a difference. You know the names of the people that you love, right? And even though you might not know your fellow Christian very well, it is a start to know their name, correct? It's, 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 doesn't it show that you care about somebody when you know their name? And I watch especially young people when they want to belittle somebody. They're like, oh, yeah, you over there. 
even though they've been around him for weeks. That's a way to put somebody down. Like, you're not important enough for me to try to remember your name. Do you see here? We sang it today. Who am I, oh God, that you should know my name? Is God a God of detail? He certainly is. He knows your name. He loves you. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every thought that you think. That is the kind of tender love that we're to endeavor to have for each other. Is it work? Yes. Love is labor. But we have to move outside of our comfort zones and say, you know, I'm going to show somebody. I'm going to, and it's a start to remember a person's name. It shows that you're, you're caring about them, that they're important to you. It may seem small. It is relatively small. It's not everything, but it is something. Work at showing love in these seemingly small ways to one another. Quite often, Michelle and I remind each other of, of names, of people that we've met, and the kids remind us, and we remind them. You, you meet somebody, and then you don't see them for a while. You see them again. You say, oh, I, I, I want to remember that person's name. The kids want to make a quiz for you guys of people. Like, you get a picture up here, and like, who is this? And, and I think it's a decent idea. Like, why, why don't we at least know each other's names? People just say this to me, and I got to admit, I'm tired of hearing it. I'm not good with names. We're not good at anything we don't work at. Isn't that true? And it is, it's, it's harder for some than it is for others, but when you, you love somebody, you learn their name. And then it goes from there. It goes beyond that. Don't just say, oh, oh that guy or whatever. It's, it's important. And ask you multiple times. And Michelle helps me a lot. You guys know that. I, she's done this multiple times, and sometimes I help her. But I remember one time I was talking to somebody at Potluck, and I had met them one other time before, a few other weeks, and I really should have known their name. I was like, I, and I gave her that deer-in-the-headlights look of like, and she, she knows and she came up to me with a plate of food, and she just, she just whispered, like, Steve. <laughs> she was just going to make me look so smart until I said, why are you calling me Steve? And I said, no, I, that last part wasn't true. I, well, it's like, it, it matters to us. Now, it's not so that we can prove, and it's like, no, we want you to know that you're loved. Because it's our endeavor to, to care for you and make some kind of connection that helps you remember, because that's the beginning. I go back to some people that have become great friends to me, co-laborers in the Lord. I'd, I didn't know their name when I first saw their face, and who would have known that they would become so, so precious to me? But it starts, it starts there. Don't be cold. Cold Christianity does not reflect Jesus. Read through the Gospels. He was so personal so connected. And you might say, well, he knows everything about everybody, so he just automatically knew before he even asked. That's an excuse. It's for us. I see in the first century church this tender love that is alive, and it's alive here too, but it ought to be more alive. So if I could love consistently in truth and in tenderness, oh, how good that would be. How about you? Do you need more loving in the truth? Do you need more loving in tenderness? Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. So what do you get from verse 2? I get love and prayer. Because John loves Gaius, he prays for him. If you know your love needs to be more genuine, then pray for that person. Pray for those people. 
Let's look at the prayer that John had for Gaius. Just take a peek at, at what were some of the things that he prayed for in Gaius's life. Well, he prays that he would prosper in all things. And he specifically says, I want your soul to prosper. I want you to prosper in the inner man. I want you to grow in the Lord. I want that kind of prosperity, but I also want you to prosper in your life, materially, like mentally, physically, spiritually. I want you to, I'm happy when I see good in your life. He prays for that prosperity, both physical and spiritual for his friend Gaius, doesn't he? What else does he pray for? He prays for his health. He wants him to be well so he can live for the Lord. Now, all the while, we know that the body can be hurting and we can still have spiritual health, right? And we do ask, as we just did a half hour ago, we pray for the needs, the physical needs of our brothers and sisters and even those that we don't know. And maybe they are, they belong to the Lord, but we say like, make us well, Lord, for your glory. But I was reminded of this verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. So you know what that's like. We are perishing. We're dying. We're not going to be completely healthy. Sometimes there are health problems that are going to be with us for the rest of our days on this earth. But praying for the spiritual prosperity of your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a part of our love for one another. Like, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. That's my prayer for you. It's your prayer for me. Would I love people more if I prayed for people more? For sure, right? So if I'm lacking in love, then I can, I can pray more. I can reach out and know their name. I can ask the Lord to teach me about truth. But part of it is about prayer. If the only time that person gets called to your mind is when you see their face, instead of them being called to your mind in prayer, do you see how number two and number three are connected? You're going to remember their name because you're lifting them up to the Lord. Uh, I remember some of your relatives' names, even though they're not a part of our church, because I pray for them. It's not that I'm intelligent. It's like, why well, I pray for that person because I know that you're praying for them. That's, that's key, prayer. And I look at the Apostle John and his love for, for Gaius and there was definitely a prayer portion of that love. Then it says in verse 3, For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you. Just as you walk in truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So we covered this verse 4. It's a great verse, quite a bit when we studied the book of Second John. Yes, it's an unsurpassed joy to see your children walk in truth. And here, John is speaking to Gaius as a child in the faith. Like, um, he's a mentor to him in the Lord. He's making disciples for Jesus, that they would follow after Jesus. And he says, nothing's better for me than to know that you walk in truth. So, number four, love rejoices in a good testimony. Do you see that there were some count-on Christians... And they came to John, and they had news about Gaius. And the news, even though they were far apart geographically, the news was that Gaius was walking in truth. The news was that his walk was steady and strong. He was living a life that was pleasing to the Lord. 
And that brought great joy to John, to hear of the good that was happening in the life of Gaius. Do you know what it's like to get a bad report? It's hard to be happy for somebody when they're living for a lie. They might have a lot of other accomplishments. They have, might have a lot of other success as the world measures it. But it's difficult to be happy for somebody if they're not walking in truth. It's difficult to have this unsurpassed joy. We shouldn't have it unless Jesus is being lived out in their life. That's what love does. It rejoices in a good testimony. Many of you know 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Listen to what it says in verse 6. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love does, is not happy when it hears about sin, when it hears about straying from the Lord. But love is rejoicing in the truth, the walking in truth. And it, we're heartbroken for those that we love when they're not near to the Lord, they're not living out their life pleasing to Him. But when, we're, when they are, we're rejoicing on the inside and on the outside. Beloved, verse 5, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Fifth point, and we'll do seven today. Love commends faithfulness. Because John loves Gaius, he commends him on his faithfulness. This is, once again, a very vital point for our lives. Look at Gaius. He was generous to the servants of the kingdom. Apostles like John, like Peter, like Paul, would travel from city to city and preach the word of God. They would build the church up. They would plant a church. They would evangelize. And Gaius was one of those individuals who said he received them. And he, then he sent them forward in a manner that was worthy. That means these servants, and some of them weren't apostles. They were other men who were teachers and pastors like Apollos and Timothy and Barnabas. He would receive them, and he, then he would send them forward in a manner worthy of the Lord. He was caring for and being hospitable to those who were building up the body of Christ. And because he was doing that, what does the word say? He was a fellow servant. And you might think, well, Gaius wasn't the one doing the preaching. Gaius wasn't the one who was the great edifier. No, but he was serving the person who was teaching, and therefore he's a fellow servant in this endeavor, fellow servants for the truth. This being hospitable, it says here that it was even for strangers, even for people that he didn't know. He knew that they were of the Lord. He knew that they, he was bringing them in, but he says, this, this is important. He received them. He brought them in and said, look, what's mine is yours. And that way they could continue in their ministry. I had a coach, and, and, and even though we were playing sports, of course, he just would remind us all the time, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not unto men. Like you're, you're dribbling that ball for God. And that's, that's a hard thing to, like whatever you do, are you doing it for God or are you doing it for people? Are you doing it for yourself or are you doing it for the Lord? Faithfulness is of the utmost importance to the Lord. And because of that, 
it should be of the utmost importance to us, shouldn't it? We look at faithfulness, and that is a sign of leadership. When somebody says, I am going to see the ministry through. Are, are you with me on this? I don't just have ideas about serving people, but if the Lord shows me this is what I'm supposed to do, I'm going to faithfully make sure that it comes to fruition. Now, we operate in the power of the Spirit of God, but we are to follow through and be consistent and be count on. This is lacking today. And some people say it's because there's just not a work ethic in America. And that is true. We're struggling with our work ethic. But as Christians, we say like, Lord, look at what you say about faithfulness in your word. If a person is slow to serve, if they're slow to see the need, they're slow to fill the gap, how can they show others how to do that? If they're not catching on that there's work to be done in all these areas and they're not participating in it, how are they ever going to be used by the Lord to spur somebody else on? When Pastor Chuck was still walking this earth before the Lord took him to heaven, he was pastoring the church in Costa Mesa with Pastor Romaine. If somebody said, I want to be in the ministry, one of the first things they would do is give him the most menial tasks. They'd say, I want to go to seminary. They'd say, it's time to clean the toilets. But I want to do Greek word studies. Right? It's time to mop the floor. Why is that? Because the scriptures teach that if we're faithful in the small things, then he'll give us greater things to do. Now, the way the world does things and the way much of the church does things today is we want to hire people that are popular and talented and gifted. That's what we're looking for. But when I look in the Word of God, the Lord is looking for faithfulness. Well done, my good and popular servant. Well done, my good and talented servant. Well done, my good and gifted servant. No, are you with me? Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what the Lord is looking for. Who, who's going to follow through? It is in his strength. Who's going to see it to the end? Who is going to continue and, and be really strong and really, really faithful in the things that matter? So this mentality, this idea that the world says, well, they want followers. Have you seen that of the world? They want people that are going to follow them. They even call them followers now. They call them fans. They call them likes, whatever. They I want people to follow me. And it's done by a lot of talking, a lot of stories, a lot of false humility. And the word says here, don't fall for it. Don't fall for flattery. Look for those that are faithful. Commends faithfulness. As pastors, what are you supposed to look for? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's what we're supposed to look for in each other. These are the people that are going to show others how to serve the Lord. Isn't it true? They're, they're faithful in it. They're going to follow through. They're going to get it done. It's not the typical method of choosing leadership, but it's God's method. Do you remember Salty, the singing songbook? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Ernie Rettino, he wrote a song that says, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. 
So true. If you want to be used by the Lord, if you want him to say, well done, then learn to be the servant of all. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, pratting against us with malicious words, and not contend with that. He himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. How would you put this point if you look at verse 9 and verse 10? What does love do? Love warns. Love warns about divisive and destructive people, destructive dividers. This Diotrephes, his name means cherished by Zeus, nourished by Jupiter, definitely not a Jewish name. What did he want? He wanted attention. Some versions put it, he wanted to be first. He wasn't willing to support the leadership, and it was, in this case, good leadership that the Lord had put in place through the Apostle John. He wanted instead to talk bad about John, and it says he was pratting, which means he was babbling. He talked too much. And his talking just wasn't idle babbling. It was malicious. He spoke in underhanded ways here and there, like, oh, I, you know, once again, I wouldn't do it that way, or is that real leadership, or they ought to do this, or they ought to do that. Look at the sin of Diotrephes. That's what it is, right? Underhanded against John and his co-laborers. And I realize that not all leaders are an apostle John, but be a place where you think the leadership is called, and this Diotrephes is a person that needs to be warned about. I was reminded of Proverbs chapter 10, verse 8. The wise in heart will receive commands, but a pratting fool, fool will fall. So pratting is to go on and on, lots of talk, little action, uh, more talk about serving than actual serving, and, and to speak with ill intent. Now John warns us about deceivers quite a few times in his epistles, doesn't he? And he warns us about false teachers, but he does something different here. What's different about this warning? Well, it, he does it by name. He says, this specific person is dangerous. They're distracting, and they're divisive, and they're, they're babbling on and on, and they're being malicious. So here's the question. Is, is it right to call somebody out by name, to warn by name? Well, obviously, it's the right thing to do sometimes, isn't it? It doesn't mean it's the right thing to do all the time, but there is a time in the body of Christ where there's like a warning, like this person is causing trouble, don't listen to them. Now that person should be approached first, <laughs> and does Diotrephes know that he's stirring up trouble? Yeah. He, he does, but he should be approached, and then if there comes a time where you're like, hey, I'm going to wa warn people about that individual, because look at them. What they're looking for is that place of preeminence, that they want to be lifted up, they want the esteem of, of men, and they're undermining in this case, um, John, in order to get that done. So it's difficult to warn somebody personally about an individual. It's just got to be done with great, a great amount of prayer and tact and understanding to, to get that taken care of. But I, that's what I see with Diotrephes here. We hope that people would realize the warning without needing to be told, but sometimes that's necessary. That is love. So love warns. It warns of destructive dividers. 
Verse 11, beloved, do not imitate what is good. What is, do not imitate, somebody's paying attention. They're like, wait a second. Eddie's, there he goes. I can apologize right away. Do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not yet seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself, and, also, and we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. So number seven, love recommends good friends. Not only will love warn about those that are divisive, but look at this recommendation that the Apostle John gives to Gaius about Demetrius. Bad company corrupts. That's what the Bible teaches. Even if a person has character, if they hang out with somebody who's corrupt, that corruption is going to rub off on them to some extent. But the word also says, conversely, that iron sharpens iron. That there are these really solid friends in the Lord that we should purposefully seek to have good relationships with. When you love someone, you encourage godly friendships. Demetrius had a good testimony, totally unlike Diotrephes. Demetrius had good reports from people, and he wasn't just tricking people. They were genuinely good reports. There was a good testimony fastened to this man's life, Demetrius. Now, I look at verse 11, which I misread at first, and it's saying to us that we're either imitating evil or we're imitating good. That we're either copying or emulating that which is pure or that which is impure. Now, the enemy says this to us sometimes. The devil himself, you know, you're the original bad boy. You're the original tough guy. Man, there's nobody else quite as smart as you. There's nobody else who's going to be quite as rich as you or quite as successful as you. According to God's word, that's a lie. We're always following in somebody's footsteps. Isn't that true? So if we're seeking greed, there's already somebody who has outdone us. There's already somebody who has earned more and has fallen for the lie that the material things will satisfy. What if you're seeking immorality? Believe me, you're only following in the footsteps of millions of other fornicators and adulterers, correct? You're emulating, you're imitating that evil that you see in them. So gone with this idea that we're going to have some kind of original sin in and of ourselves. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing groundbreaking as far as sin. But the lie of Satan is like, kind of make a place for yourself. You're going to be extra greedy. You're going to be extra immoral. You're going to be extra prideful. Haven't there been a lot of egos that have gone before us? And when we're full of ourselves, all we're doing is following in the footsteps of boasters. Now, we might go about that boasting in a different way, but you're either following after righteousness or you're following after evil. We're really not that special. We're really not that inventive, you might put it that way. Well, I'm so, no, these temptations are, are common to man. And what the message is, especially to young people, is, oh, there's this sin out there that's so groundbreaking, it's so different, and, and you're just going to shake up society, and you're going to make culture realize how individual you are. Open up your Bible and read what it says. There's nothing new under the sun. That sin 
was already there before you showed up. And you can either choose to imitate it or you can imitate what is good. And here, the recommendation is for Demetrius, but ultimately, it's for Jesus. Don't be like Diotrephes. Be like Demetrius because he's following Jesus. He has a good report. It's also true that when we emulate what is good, we didn't invent that good. We didn't come up with it. And most of us don't have a problem with saying, I'm walking in Jesus' footsteps. I'm emulating him. And there are examples around me of people who are supposed to encourage me in that. They're not my ultimate example, but they're supposed to point me to emulate Jesus in my life and to point you to emulate Jesus in your life. So when you love somebody, you encourage those good friendships. It doesn't mean that we're, you know, straight up mean to Diotrephes. We give him the warning and say, knock it off, stop causing trouble. But to have a friend like a Demetrius, the good of Christ being emulated in our life. Here's a proverb for you. Proverbs 13, 20. Listen carefully. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. That kind of love says, I I care about who you're hanging out with. I care about who you're friends with. I care about who's rubbing off on you. And so we have this father in the faith pointing to Jesus, saying to Gaius, have these kind of friends. Be this kind of friend to somebody. One who spurs them on to walk with the Lord.